what makes a nation or an individual happy. And speaking of happiness, it reminded me of a popular phrase, ignorance is bliss. If ignorance is bliss, does higher intelligence make you less happy? Hey there, Zesties. Welcome back to another episode of the Gleeful Talk Show where we share zesty stories to cultivate the happiness at hero within and out. On the show, we talk about personal experiences and development, society and culture. So if these are the topics that you're interested in, then please keep on listening and better yet, consider following and rating the podcast as well. All right, Zesties, on this episode, we're going to dive into a topic that I'm really fascinated about and it's something that you are going to relate to as well and we are all striving for and that is about happiness. Can happiness be scientifically measured? So picture this. You're hanging out with your buddies and someone pops the question, how happy are you with your life on a scale of from 1 to 10? You're probably thinking, well, that's a loaded question. And you're right. It kind of is. And here's the deal. Researchers use these self-report surveys to get a sense of how we're all feeling. You know those questionnaires from 1 to 10 scale? They're the OG of happiness measurement. So don't be surprised if you're ever asked to rate your happiness. It's all in the name of science, folks. So do they work though? I feel like self-report surveys are a valuable tool in a way for measuring happiness and and it could be subjective in a sense as well because even though this is widely used in psychological research, there are still limitations, right? They do provide important insights into people's feelings and life, life satisfaction. However, it is quite subjective and it could also lead to biases as well. People may have different interpretations of the survey questions and their responses can be influenced by their mood, memory, and other contextual factors. And individuals may provide socially desirable answers which can lead to bias. And despite these limitations, self-report can be valuable because they provide a direct window into an individual's subjective experiences and perceptions. When designed and administered carefully, they can offer valuable insights into happiness and well-being, making them a key tool in the scientific study of these topics. Researchers often use multiple measures and combine them with other methods to point a more comprehensive picture of well-being. And I remember back in the day when I was in high school, we were on my fourth year of high school. One of the things that we need to accomplish before graduating is to defend a thesis. And I remember the topic that I chose initially was a topic around success. So it was, I kind of forget exactly what the research topic title was in verbatim, but it's more about measuring success as well. And I remember that the teacher actually did not approve that research topic because of how subjective uh, the term success is and now I actually really understand why the teacher also didn't want us to pursue that type of topic because of its subjectiveness right success means different to a lot of people and so does happiness yes although these self-report surveys are quite valuable but they can have limitations as well and have you ever heard of experience sampling it's like a happiness diary but without the teenage drama researchers ask you to jot down your mood and what you're up to throughout the day. It's like Instagram stories for your emotions. This method gives us a real-time look at how happiness fluctuates. Now, here's where things get sci-fi. Some scientists measure happiness using your body 
your heart rate, cortisol levels, and even your brain's mood lighting. Yep, they're like emotional detectives using your body as evidence. But remember, these indicators can be a bit sneaky in a way because it is influenced by all sorts of stuff. And speaking of sneaky, how about we just watch people's behavior? Not in a creepy way, of course, but researchers do analyze your facial expressions, body language, and how often you're mixing and mingling. It's like they're happiness detectives in disguise trying to crack the code. And actually, there are professions that study this. Um, I forgot what exactly it was, but there's like happiness coach, happiness researchers, and there are also writers that talk about happiness based on their research. And just to add on that as well, there was a book that I stumbled um, upon before. It's called Huga. So it's like H-Y-G-G-E. So it's a happiness term or word. It's a Danish term for happiness or cozy. And it was written by a researcher on happiness as well. So I think some of these measures were done by those researchers. And Zesties, ever thought about happiness and money? And you would say, of course, <laughs> happiness gives uh, money gives us happiness, right? <laughs> yes and no. Some folks use economic stats like GDP or income levels to measure happiness. But hold up, that's like judging a pizza by the size of its dough without considering the toppings. There's so much more to happiness than dollars and cents. And here's the grand finale. Composite happiness indexes. These are like the, those power rankings you see in your favorite sport. Researchers combine different happiness measures into one super score to rank countries and assess how everyone's doing on the happiness scale. It's like a global happiness showdown. So I've done a bit of research into which country is the happiest in the world just to get an idea of the conditions of those lists of countries and what makes those people on those countries happy. So this report I am referring to is a part of a publication of the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network that draws on global survey data from people in more than 150 countries. Countries are ranked on happiness based on their average life evolutions over the three preceding years. So in this case, in 2023, it is like 2020 to 2022. So this report, which, which was released in March this year, identifies the happiest nations, those at the very bottom of the happiness scale and everything in between, plus the factors that tend to lead to greater happiness. So Finland has clinched the title of the world's happiest country for the sixth consecutive year, as per the rankings in the World Happiness Report. These rankings heavily rely on life assessments collected through the Gallup World Poll. So in this report, Finland, along with its neighboring Nordic countries like Denmark, Iceland, Sweden, and Norway, consistently excels in the criteria used to elucidate these rankings. These criteria encompasses various aspects such as the healthy life expectancy, GDP per capita, social support, low levels of corruption, and culture of generosity where people care for one another and the freedom to make significant life choices. Yet, since packing our bags and moving to Finland isn't feasible for everyone, it begs the question, what valuable lessons can other societies glean from these happiness rankings? Embracing a, a comprehensive perspective on the well-being of both society and its individual members leads to enhanced life assessment and increased happiness in nations. The report emphasizes that every institution's primary goal should be to make a meaningful contribution to humans' well-being. This contribution extends to considerations for future generations and the safeguarding of fundamental human rights. And again, I would have to say, though, 
I feel that these nations don't really focus a lot on social media. I don't know. I, I, I haven't, I've been, I've been to Finland and Nordic countries, but it gives me an impression that those countries don't really rely heavily on social media, unlike the US or let's say Philippines. I, I'm not sure about Australia, but I ju it just gives me that notion that the Nordic countries don't really use social media that much. And perhaps it contributes to their happiness as well. I might be just speculating here, right? So, but that was the research, um, you know, there's the G GDP and all those other life assessments and the measures that I've mentioned before as well was used in this happiness report. And, and again, my personal assessment is just mainly um, social media, but what do you think, Zesties? What makes a nation or an individual happy? Please comment down on the comment section on Spotify or email to gleefultalkshow at gmail.com. Or if you're hearing this on YouTube, please comment down below. And speaking of happiness, it reminded me of a popular phrase, which is said as ignorance is bliss. Do you remember this phrase, Zesties? Did you know that this phrase, ignorance is bliss, is often attributed to the English poet and essayist Thomas Gray? He wrote a poem titled Ode on a Distant Prospect of Eton College in the 18th century, and it contains the famous lines, Where ignorance is bliss, tis folly to be wise. Hmm, interesting. These lines reflect the idea that sometimes not knowing certain things can lead to a simpler and more content life. While Thomas Gray is widely credited with popularizing this expression, similar sentiments can be found in earlier writings by various authors, so the concept itself is not entirely unique to him. So that begs the question, if ignorance is bliss, does higher intelligence make you less happy? So Zessis, what do you think? Before I answer this question, let me know what you think of the term or the word ignorance is bliss and whether this resonates with you or doesn't resonate with you. Let me know on the comments down below. So Zesties being, you know, being super smart doesn't automatically zap your happiness away. In fact, plenty of brainy folks out there are living their best, happiest lives. Some students even suggest that there's a positive correlation between intelligence and life satisfaction. For instance, a study published in the Psychological Bulletin in 2016 analyzed data from over 65,000 participants and found that individuals with higher cognitive abilities tend to report higher life satisfaction. So yeah, those extra brain cells might be doing some good, but you know, life's a bit of a mixed bag and there's a few things that can come into play as well. So one thing is overthinking. Sometimes when you've got a super smart brain, it's like having a turbocharged thinking engine. You might find yourself overanalyzing stuff or getting stuck in a loop of deep thoughts. I'm not gonna say that I'm super smart, but I do overthink a lot. <laughs> How about you? That's cool for problem solving, but not so cool when it leads to stress and worry. Research shows that overthinking can be a common challenge for highly intelligent individuals. Hmm, nice, nice. But yeah, I don't really consider myself super intelligent, but I, I am an overthinker. And again, so this one here is going to be very interesting. Raise your hand if you're a perfectionist. Let me see those hands. <laughs> well, a lot of highly intelligent folks set some pretty high bars for themselves. It's like they're a constant pursuit of excellence, which can be awesome, but it can also be a bit of a happiness buzzkill for themselves and also for the people around them when they feel that they're not measuring up. So studies suggest that perfectionism can be more prevalent among individuals with high intelligence. It does make sense, you know, because most, you know, super smart people 
tend to be overachievers as well. And again, you know, it's like a, a rabbit hole. So I think the best way, you know, I, I'm really not in a good position to say this, but I think the, in theory, the best way is just to have balance in our lives, right? Um, easier said than done, though. So moving on. Ever felt like you're the odd one out in social situations? Being super smart can sometimes make it a tad harder to relate to others who aren't as into your intellectual pursuits. It's like speaking a different language, which can lead to a bit of social isolation. Research has explored how social challenges can be part of the experience for highly intelligent individuals. So it's like, you know, not the same wavelength. And if you're in the top 1% of people in the world uh, in terms of intelligence, then it's really very hard to find people who think like you as well. So that could be very, you know, that could be a big factor. And, you know, if you can't relate to a lot of people, then, you know, it could hinder you socializing. And again, if we don't socialize as much, it can lead to unhappiness in a way. And brainy folks often have a keen sense of sensitivity. Some do, some don't, but based on research, they can be sensitive. So that means that they can feel emotions really intensely, whether they're positive or negative. And it's like emotional roller coasters are on high-speed mode. Research indicates that heightened emotional sensitivity can be a trait associated with high intelligence. It's pretty interesting, though, um, considering, you know, I don't know, I don't really know a lot of super, super highly intelligent people, but I do have a different notion about this. But for some reason, research shows that um, they have high emotional sensitivity, but that's pretty interesting to me. And lastly, Zesties, there's this expectation that super smart people have to ace everything all the time. That can be a lot of pressure, especially when it comes to academics. Or the workplace. So studies have delved into the stressors that intelligent individuals may face in their careers. But you know, um, it does make sense. Uh, it does make sense. And for those who are really career driven, it can really lead to some an unhappiness in a way. So and again, I would have to say that happiness is very subjective and it differs from individual to individual. But what do you think, Zesties? Is ignorance really a bliss, or it's just an illusion that it's bliss? What do you think? And comment down below. But for those highly intelligent zesties and folks out there, it's not all gloom and doom. Many intelligent individuals lead happy, fulfilling lives. They just need to learn to navigate the quirks that come with having a big, beautiful brain. So the bottom line, being super smart doesn't automatically make you less happy, but it can introduce some unique challenges. It's all about finding that balance, embracing your brain power, and learning how to ride the waves of life's up and downs. So there you have it, Zesties. Can happiness be scientifically measured? And based on today's episode, yes, definitely. So those are self-report surveys, experience sampling, psychological measures, behavioral observations, economic indicators, and composite indexes. However, despite these measures, I think the most important question is what makes us happy? So Zesties, I'm very curious to know what makes you happy. You can send your responses through voice memo and send to gleefultalkshow at gmail.com or you can send an email as well or DM on our social media platforms or even comment on the comment section on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. So I would be very curious to know what makes you happy and what makes me happy is actually hearing from you. So I will be waiting for your responses, Zesties. And I would like to give a big shout out to our patrons, Jem, and everyone who is keeping me caffeinated by clicking on the PayPal link for my tip jar down on the episode notes below. So again, thank you, Zesties, and I'll see you next week. Have a gleeful life.